Exodus 33. We're going to finish the chapter today, start chapter 34, working our way through the book of Exodus. Um, and I realize, I try not to do this as much as possible, we're jumping right into the middle of a conversation here between Moses and God. So if you have not been here and you're like, wait, what's happening? I'm sorry, there's a conversation going on. You're jumping in the middle of it. Um, there's no way around it. So I'm just going to do my best to like help you catch up and God's good. So I'm sure he'll speak to you. Um, we've been watching this story as God brought the people out of Egypt to be his people. He brought them to the foot of Mount Sinai to make a covenant with them. Uh, to be their God, they would be his people. They all agreed, all was well. God had spoken to them about how life was going to be as they began to live as his people, right? New patterns, new habits, new rhythms, old patterns need to go away, right? Then the people totally blew it. So God does all these miracles, gets them out of the Egypt, across the Red Sea, man on the ground. We just sang that, and that was interesting. Uh, water from the rock, right? All this incredible stuff. And then they totally blow it. God's like, you want to be my people? They're like, yeah, let's go. And then like two minutes later, they're like, yeah, right, let's make a calf. And so they did, totally blew it. And Moses goes up on the mountain to smooth things over with God. And the short version of the story is that Moses intercedes, which intercedes is just a fancy word for, he's like the in-between. He's like, are you good? Are they good? Like mediator kind of a thing. Like he's asking God for stuff. He's like, hey, the people, I know they blew it, but I'm just asking, can you help them out here a little bit? And so Moses is going to intercede five times uh, in this section, uh, all because of the golden calf incident. And so the first thing he asks for is, God, don't destroy your people. God's like, hey, those people, you know, that you came out with from Egypt, they, they're totally blowing it down there at the bottom of the mountain. He's God's like, I'm going to kill them all and start over with you. And Moses intercedes. He's like, no, 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 don't destroy your people. And good news, God says, okay, I won't destroy my people. So then we keep going a little bit in this conversation. And the second thing Moses asks for is that God would forgive the people. So actually, after Moses goes down, he's like, stop doing all this. He's like, I got to go back up with God and see if I can smooth this over. So Moses is like, would you forgive the people, God? Don't hold it against them. And God says, yeah, I'll forgive them, but there's no group discount here. I'm not just going to, each individual person is going to deal with me for their forgiveness. So that was the second thing Moses asked God for. Then last week, we saw Moses interceding again. This was the third thing that Moses asked for. And he said, God, you made some promises to go with your people, and you should make good on those promises. Because God was like, maybe I shouldn't go with you guys. You guys are pretty awful, and I might kill you on the way. And Moses is like, no, you have to go with us. In fact, if you don't go with us, don't move us from here. And so that was the third thing Moses asked for. And God, at the end of that, said, okay, I'll keep my promises. I'm going to go with the people. My presence will be, will be with you. So at this point, if you're the people of God, you're like, whew, crisis averted, right? This could have been really bad. But good news, God's not going to destroy us. He's going to forgive us. He's going to still be with us. His presence is still going to be with us. It's, it's good news. But Moses isn't done asking God for stuff. He's actually going to ask God for two more things. We're going to read about them today, starting in verse 18 of Exodus chapter 33. So if you got a white or a blue Bible that we gave you, it's going to be page 42 at the very bottom. Uh, if you have your own Bible, you got to find your own page. Sorry. Exodus chapter 18, uh, chapter 33, starting in verse 18. Sorry. And Moses has just said to God, if you don't go with us, don't move us from the spot. And God has just responded to Moses 
What you have asked for, I will do, meaning God will go with his people. And Moses asked the Lord for another thing, and that's verse 18. Moses said to God, please show me your glory. And God said, I will make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. So that's Yahweh. It's capitalized in your Bible. We've talked about that a couple times, but uh, his name is our closest guest is Yahweh. So that's uh, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Verse 20. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on a rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put a cleft, put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. In chapter 34, verse 1, then the Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. And be ready in the morning and come up to the mountain, to Mount Sinai, and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. And no one shall come up with you, and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning, went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and he took in his hand two tablets of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord. So Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity on the fathers of the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshiped. Okay, so just so you get the whole rundown of what's happening, I read that whole passage uh, because the chapter breaks kind of make it a little bit confusing if you're not kind of paying attention. But what happened is Moses said, God, show me your glory. Yahweh says, okay, I'm gonna, but I'm gonna have to hide you because I can't show you the whole thing because you'll die, which you wouldn't like as much as you think, right? So, uh, and then the first eight chapters of verse 30, of chapter, the first eight verses of chapter 34 are the actual happening of God showing Moses his glory. So Moses says, show me your glory. God says, I'm going to do it. It's going to go like this. Moses is like, cool. Then God has this little kind of like in between of like, oh yeah, by the way, when you come up to see my glory, bring two tablets with you. Moses is like, okay, I will. And then he comes up to the mountain and God actually shows him his glory and does what he said. So it seems odd and out of place a little bit if you're reading through these five intercessions that I've talked about and you get to this show me your glory one, doesn't it? Because we've been asking for stuff that seems to make a lot of sense. Like when the people blew it and Moses was like, hey, don't destroy them. Like that's, that makes sense. That's probably what I would have asked for too, right? Hey, forgive the people. Like, yep, I still, I think I would have asked for that too somewhere along the way, right? Please go with us still. Like all of these things make a lot of sense. But then you get, show me your glory. And that's like, one of these things is not like the other. Is that how the Sesame Street song goes? Anyway, right? Like, just one, like, that's a weird request. Like, all the other ones seem like in line. Like, yeah, I would say, don't kill me. Like, go with me. Like, forgive me. Like, all those make sense. Show me your glory seems to be a little bit of a weird request that's not quite in line with the other requests until you read what God actually says back. Okay, so we're going to take a look at that. But first, I want to do this. Um, can we all admit that glory is like a weird type of a word? 
It's just like, like we use it in church and we say it sometimes like, oh, that coffee was glorious, you know? But it's just like one of those things, like if your five-year-old came and asked you like, what's glory? You'd be like, duh. It's when something's really good, right? Maybe I just projected that on you. Maybe you have a great explanation for what glory is. And I'm the one that, because you're just smarter than me. But if my five-year-old came to me and was like, what's glory? I'd be like, when something's really good. And she would say, like, gelato, because she loved gelato. We talked about that last week. Interesting, after I talked about last week, on Wednesday night at worship practice, we were done. And it was like, oh, we can't go home yet. Youth group's still at our house. She's like, let's go get gelato. And I was like, I knew you were going to say that. Anyway. So she would say something like that, like, well, gelato's really good. Is that glory? And I'd be like, well, it kind of is, right? Um, it's, it's, glory is, is, it's not just when something's really good. It's like identifying what is really good about the thing. And then the, the word actually has like some sort of a weight and a substance to it. Like it's not just like, oh, something's really good. Yeah, that's good. There's like a weightiness and a substance implied in glory that is not just encompassing the word goodness. Actually, I got like an illustration here. I don't do illustrations very much, uh, ever, actually. So when I said not very much, that was kind of a lie. But like, let's say this is my like illustration. Let's say that each one of these rocks is like some sort of representation of the goodness of something. Let's go with gelato. Like, seems easy, right? Uh, Gelato's really good. Have you ever had it? It tastes really good. Okay, I get this is kind of like elementary, but I'm explaining this to a five-year-old, so bear with me for a second. Okay, so like, let's say like four of these rocks and put them in here because gelato tastes so good, right? Like that's a weight. Like if you got hit in the face with that, you'd know it, right? So that's something to it. But that's not the only thing that's great about gelato. Like the, the texture is really good, right? It's like smooth and like just like, not too dense, but not light, like cotton candy. And like, it's, it's like, it's cold and creamy, but like, and actually it's cold and creamy, but the flavor is still so amazing and bold. So I'm going to put another one in there for flavor because I just remembered I really like it. All right. So now we got some like, it's starting to get full. And then it's not our favorite thing about gelato, but the the colors are pretty amazing. Like my, my daughter loves the raspberry and it's like this incredible color of pink that's like amazingly bold. So it's not the best thing, but it's a little, it's something, right? The mango, like it's the perfect color between like yellow and orange and like the chocolates. Anyway, and okay, so we could go on and on, uh, but you don't want to and I understand why you don't want to. But now we have like this, this kind of weighted representation of like the goodness of something. Right? It's not just like these rocks don't mean anything. They mean something. They're like some sort of like weight to them. And it's not, it's not like the heaviest thing in the world, but it's, it's not nothing. Right? If I threw it at you, you wouldn't try to catch it, I hope. Right? You'd probably move. Right? It would hurt. Right? That's, that's what glory is. It's like some sort of like weighted representation of goodness. Right? So when we talk about the glory of God, when, when Moses is like, God, show me your glory. Moses is kind of asking like, like, I want some sort of like understanding of your goodness. Like, show me the weight of how good you are. Like, like show me why it is that you're great. Show me what you're good at. Show me why it is that we should revere you like we do. So, I mean, that's basically what Moses is asking God. I want to see and feel and know what makes you great, God. 
So keep that in mind, okay? And Moses says that. Yahweh showed me a couple years back, right? Show me your glory. Anyway, you didn't want to hear me that. Uh, but it was a great song. And lots of people know this story. Lots of Christians who study the Bible are like, I remember when Moses asked God to show him his glory. And so I was reading through it, and I, I read the thing that God said back to Moses after that, and I was like, how come nobody ever says that part? And in fact, like I knew that part was in there, but when I think of the story of Moses asking God to show him his glory, I, I, it's not that I forget that that's in there, but like I kind of do. I kind of forgot that that's what God said back to Moses. And I was like, I wonder if I'm the only one. So I called eight people this week. And I asked them all, I said, hey, you know the story of when Moses asked God to show him his glory? And they're all like, yep. And I was like, what does God say back to Moses? And nobody knew. Actually, everybody said the same thing. Uh, God said he couldn't because it would kill him. And I was like, no, that's actually not the first thing that God said back to Moses. Uh, and, and so everybody was on the same page with me. So I point that out because we all know that Moses, not we all know, but it's very popular knowledge. Lots of people remember that Moses actually said, God, show me your glory. And we don't very often remember what God actually said back to Moses. So, which tells me, let's pay very close attention because this is very easy to miss or forget. See, Moses says, show me your glory. And God says, okay, I will pass before you. And then look at verse 19. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. That's what God says when Moses says, show me your glory. And what's interesting is this is the only thing that Yahweh says about himself after Moses asked to see his glory. Do you see that? Like, I'm not making that up. That's in your Bible, right? You, you, I should see the top of your head, not your eyeballs right now. You're like, yeah, that's what it says, right? You're watching this conversation between Moses and God, and Moses is like, I want to feel and know your goodness, Yahweh. I want to feel the weight of your goodness. And Yahweh says, okay. Well, you should know this about my mercy and my grace, first and foremost. That's what God just said to him, right? Now, I, I recognize the thing that I'm going to say next is not, like, going to make sense to everybody here. And again, I try to avoid that, but it's just kind of is what it is, right? But some people read this verse, and they think immediately, oh, man, this is one of those Calvinism verses, Right? And the, you know, a little creepy. We don't have any choice in our lives. We're either going to go to heaven or hell. And God just decided a long time ago, and it's over for us. We don't. Well, um, okay. Put that aside. If you're like, I don't know what Calvinism is, don't worry about it. You're fine. Okay? But that's what I mean when it, it won't make sense to some of you. That idea that this is like some sort of like eternal damnation verse is just so out of context with what God is actually talking about here. Okay? That's not the context of the quote. God's people blew it. They absolutely blew it. Okay? God said he would not destroy them. God said he would forgive them. God said he would be present with them, even though they don't deserve him to be present with them. Moses said, show me what makes you great. And God says, it's my grace and my mercy. I don't think this is about Calvinism at all. I think this is about God like, I do what I want, and I want to show mercy and grace to these people. And people are like, well, that means that you're going to go to hell like you were created to be a matchstick. Like, I don't, I don't think that's the context here, to be honest with you, right? Like, again, let's go back to gelato. If my daughter was like, let's go to gelato on 
Wednesday and I, and I want to bless my family right now. And that's what God's saying here. Like, I'm going to have mercy on whom I want to have mercy. And right now I'm choosing that mercy on people who don't deserve it. I want to have grace on people who don't deserve my grace right now. These are my people. I'm going to save them. That's the context of the verse. And it seems like, it seems like Yahweh is saying this. You want to see my glory? You want to see my goodness? You want to know the weight of what it is that makes me great? It's my mercy and my grace to a people who don't deserve it. Like, it seems like in Yahweh's estimation, this is the most glorious thing about him. Like, if you were to ask Yahweh about himself, what's the best thing about you? What do you do best, God? Yahweh says, grace and mercy. And, and maybe you're like, I don't know, Jared, it's one verse. Like, maybe you're taking that. If you think I'm interpreting this weird, go down to chapter 34, verse 6. Right? Go down to the thing when it actually happens. When the glory of Yahweh actually passes before Moses, what does Yahweh say? Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious. He says it again. It's like Moses, Moses is like, show me your glory. And Yahweh's like, I'm going to tell you how merciful and gracious I am. Moses is like, okay. And then Yahweh's like, come on up. Let me tell you how merciful and gracious I am. Slow to anger abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. He says it again. This wasn't an accident. Yahweh just said it twice about himself, and this is not just in this passage. This verse, Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 to 7, is the most quoted Bible passage by other biblical authors in the Old Testament. If you're like, what what Bible verse do other Christians who wrote the Bible think is a big deal? It's this one. The most quoted, right? In our day and time, it's like, what's the most popular verse? John 3, 16. Everybody knows it. In their day and time, it was this. What do we need to know about Yahweh? This is what we need to be, know about Yahweh. Merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Other people who wrote the Bible thought that was the most important verse in the Bible to quote. Think about that. And we forget it. We're like, God, Moses was like, show me your glory. And what God say? He said, I can't, I'll kill you. It's like, no, that's not what he said. He said, my mercy and grace is what makes me glorious. The weight of my mercy and grace are the thing that encompasses my glory. It wasn't an accident. Think about it. It seems like God just said the weightiest parts of his goodness are his mercy and grace. Like the defining traits of who he is are mercy and grace. Like grace and mercy are the most important things that he wants you to know about him, right? Like, like if we're doing the weight thing, right? Moses was like, I got a bag here. Can you put in there? What's the best thing about you? And this is going to be loud, but this is what God did. God's like, mercy. And Moses is like, I just got to worship. I, I just got to worship right now. Mercy and grace are what makes God glorious. 
Here's another way to say it. Grace and mercy are what Yahweh does best. Forgiveness is what Yahweh does best. Think about how far we've come in the story. Think about what we've talked about even last week. The people of God do not become the people of God without forgiveness. There's no record of anybody becoming the people of God without forgiveness, meaning forgiveness is a requirement to be the people of God, meaning every person who ever comes to know God and becomes a child of God happens the exact same way. God forgives them. So the answer of who are you is the same for every single person in this room, every single person who's been a Christian throughout all history, every single person who's been before Christianity existed because Jesus wasn't there yet, who was a person of God before and trusted in Yahweh. It's the same for everybody. We are who we are. Our identity is that we are forgiven. We have grace and mercy from God, which makes sense because he says it's the most important thing you should know about him. Grace, mercy, the things involved in forgiveness. Now, this is great news, right? Everybody loves the idea that God is gracious and merciful and forgiving. But there's a problem with this. The first problem is this. To be forgiven, you have to be in need of forgiveness. And it's very uncomfortable to be in need of forgiveness. You know why? Because you have to say, I was wrong. And that's not very comfortable. Nobody likes the feeling of being wrong. We spend a lot of time and energy in our lives trying to avoid the feeling of being wrong. We hate it. We avoid it. We act like it never happened. We don't want to address it. So our experience of forgiveness is thin and shallow because we don't ever want to sit in the idea that we're wrong. right? Or we just have like vague, ambiguous wrong. Like, yeah, I'm probably not the best person I could be. We don't actually want to confess like something specific, like the thing I said to you was unacceptable, or I'm just not very good at this, or I failed you in this way, or I hurt you in this way because I'm selfish and I should never have done that, or I need to stop doing this thing. Like, that's really hard. It's uncomfortable. I'm, I'm telling you that as someone who understands it's uncomfortable. So we all like the idea of forgiveness while we try to avoid the appearance of needing to be forgiven. That's what makes it really hard. The second problem with the idea that God is best at grace and mercy is we like to be in control. And if God is the one doing the forgiving, then he's in control and we're not in control. We don't love that. So God says, the most glorious thing about me is grace and mercy. And we're like, well, that's very kind of you, God, but I don't need mercy today because I'm very working very hard to control my own life. I got my plan, I got my distractions, I got my thing that I'm trying to do. So unless your grace and mercy matches up with what I plan on doing today, don't need it. I'm good. And it's not just a human thing. The culture we live in in 2024 trains you to never think that you need forgiveness. Like It's not just like, it's not just something I struggle with and you struggle with. It's like, as a whole, we have a culture that trains you, like, no, nah, you didn't do anything wrong. Say that you're not wrong. Or if you do say you're wrong, just be some ambiguous big thing. Don't actually confess specifics to anybody, right? Just be like, we're going to train a culture up that doesn't need forgiveness and grace and mercy. Like, we just don't need it, okay? We can say we need it, but if we're never wrong, do we really need it? No, and we're fine. 
it's not just that it's uncomfortable for us, it's that it's uncomfortable, and also the world is actually grooming us and training us to live that we don't experience the thing that Yahweh is best at. Think about that. The world is training you on a path that you don't experience the thing that Yahweh is great at. <clears throat> it makes me think of this one time. Um, we were driving through Vail. We lived in Colorado, so it wasn't, you know, you're like, Vail, like, ooh, I'm not trying to be better than everybody, but um, <clears throat> we were driving through Vail. It's right off the freeway. It's not that hard to get to. Anyway, we're driving through it, and there's thousands of restaurants there, and uh, they're all closed because it was the off season, which is the only time we could afford to go to Vail. Uh, no, we're on our way to Denver, I think, but anyway, we're walking through all these restaurants. They're all closed. There's like a month in the spring and a month in the fall that's like between summer and winter seasons, so the ski area closed and the summer hasn't opened up yet and vice versa, where everything just shuts down and the whole town just takes the month off. Uh, ski towns in Colorado do that. So anyway, we're walking through Vail. We're so hungry, we can't find a restaurant. Nothing's open. And my father-in-law's with us, so it's my, me, my wife, uh, my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, so her parents. And he wants a burger, and we're trying to find a burger place, but we can't find anything, not just a burger place, we can't find anything open at all. And so we're walking, and we're hungry, and you know how you walk and you're hungry, and it gets worse and worse, and we're like, ah, it's getting testy. And uh, hanging out with your in-laws is usually super smooth anyway, right? Uh, so <clears throat> we get to this restaurant, and it's a German restaurant, and it's open. We're like, yes, we're eating here. It doesn't matter. And so this lady comes in and uh, helps us be seated, and it's the most German restaurant I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, you couldn't get more German. It was like the English was barely anything on the menu, like schnitzel, spetzel, kielbasa, I don't know, right? All this stuff, and it's super German, and they have awards for how German it is, like on the wall, and there's just the most German place you've ever seen in your life. And the lady comes back, she's like, what do you want? And we're all like, we want burgers. And a little piece of her died inside. You could just tell. It's like, you came to the most German place in the whole world that's not Germany, and you ordered burgers. And, uh, you know, it wasn't even on the real menu. It was, like, on the back by, like, the kids' section, like, in the corner. Oh, yeah, we also have burgers, you idiot. Like, it didn't say that, but that was kind of the feel. And I just felt like we were, like, doing them such a disservice by ordering burgers. But that's what we wanted. And so we did. And I feel like we do that with God sometimes. Like we come to God and he's like, I'm amazing at mercy and grace. And we're like, ah, can I have some comfort? It's like, can I have some prosperity? Can I have some protection? Can I get some more of those traveling mercies? He's like, but I'm amazing at mercy and grace and forgiveness. It's like, I don't want any of those, right? It's like going to the most amazing Italian restaurant, like all the awards. It's like, do you guys do fries? It's like, we're known for Italian food. But like, I just, I like fries. And we do that with God, right? Think about the prayers that you prayed this week. I did it. I'm saying this to you as a person who is convicted as I was studying this week. What do I pray for? I pray for things to go my way. I pray for protection. I pray for prosperity. I pray for comfort. I pray for ease. I pray for my plans to be accomplished, right? I didn't thank God or pray for mercy or grace hardly at all this week. 
That's the thing that God says he does best. And we want so much other stuff from him than that. Think about this. Moses asked God to show him his glory in the middle of the story where the people blew it and God is actually having to forgive them. Like Moses is asking God, show me your glory. And, and here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, Moses, you didn't see the glory of God in the 10 plagues? You, you didn't see the glory of God when he, he split the Red Sea? That wasn't the weight of his goodness, his highest potential? Like the water coming out of the rock, the manna on the ground that you've been eating every day for the last nine months? He's standing in a glory cloud on the top of Mount Sinai. And Moses is like, can I see your glory? It's like, this isn't it? When I went back and I was like, remember this one thing that he asked seemed to be odd compared to all the other things that he asked? Until you realize the response from God. Because God knows what Moses knows. That the greatest weight of his goodness is found in his mercy and his grace. The thing that Yahweh does best are the things that are involved in forgiving people. Like, the ten plagues are not the glory of God, according to Moses. Moses saw the ten plagues, and he doesn't say, hey, I saw your glory, that was cool, can you do it again? He said, I'd like to see it now, in the middle of a story where your people just worshipped an idol for a long time, and you had to forgive them for the last three things. You didn't destroy them, you decided to forgive them, and you said you'd still go with them. Now can I see your glory? And Yahweh says, hey, this guy gets it. I know him, and he knows me by name. We get super stoked at the power of God. We all get pretty amped up about the prosperity of God. We feel like what we really need most is the protection of God. We like miracles. We like wealth. We like prosperity. We like when things work, right? We like when it feels like God's helping us like get where we want to go in life. We like safety and comfort, but none of those things are what God says are the most important thing about himself. He says, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity. Now you're thinking, wait, Jared, you're skipping the second half of verse seven where he says, who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting iniquity of the fathers and the children of the third and fourth generation. He's going to kill kids. If he's so forgiving, what's up with that verse, right? Like, did you just skip it? No, I didn't. I didn't skip it. If the most important thing Yahweh wants you to know about him is grace and mercy, what's the deal with the by no means clear the guilty part of the verse? This is actually great because the way God reveals himself matches exactly the way our lives actually are, okay? So if I go to you and I say, hey... God forgives you and loves you. You're like, yes, but you know you don't deserve forgiveness and love. So there's a tension in your heart. You're like, that's cool. But if God was just like he says he is, then he'd know all the bad things I did and that I deserve to be punished for them. Unless you're a psychopath and you're like, I didn't do anything wrong, which we already talked about. But most of you have soft hearts. So when I say God loves you, like you're not prideful. You're like, of course he does. You're like, man, that's awesome. But I know what I've done. 
and there's this tension in our hearts. And God here is not just saying he's forgiving, but he's saying he's forgiving while at the same time not at all abandoning justice. Okay, so he's calling out the tension that exists in life that we all feel, that we all should feel. Like I've been forgiven by God, I've understood his grace and mercy, which is great, but I'm still a sinner. That's a tension. And God's like, yeah, I see that tension. That tension doesn't just exist in you and in your heart. It exists in who I reveal myself to be to the people. God doesn't shy away from the tension. Like, I know you and I, we're like, uh, some of us more than others, but they're like conflict avoidant. Like, I don't want tension. Like, let's not do conflict. Let's just like, let's keep it all a-okay. Don't rock the ship, right? We just all like, don't have any tension or conflict. Everything's solved. Every loose end is tied up, dot every I, cross every T, like no questions asked. That's just not the way God reveals himself. God reveals himself as a God of tension, a God who is best at forgiveness and mercy and somehow does it without abandoning justice. That's the experience of our lives as the people of God. We know God is great at mercy and grace and kindness, and yet we still understand we are sinners. Paul said it to the end of his life. The Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, he said, I'm the worst sinner, the chief. He said, God can forgive to the utmost. You know who he was talking about? He wasn't talking about your neighbor who never puts his trash can back, right? He was talking about himself. He said, I'm the utmost. He can save to the utmost. I know because he saved me. For most part, we humans hate that type of tension. It's got to be one or the other. He's either forgot all about it, we don't have to talk about it anymore, or he's just going to hold us accountable. We can't have this tension of both things at the same time, and yet that is God. Our Heavenly Father is famous for his mercy and forgiveness and will not abandon justice. So here's how we're going to finish this morning. I don't know why you came to church this morning. But we're all going to take some time to order the best thing on the menu. And maybe you came because you're like checking a box. Maybe you came because you're like, yep, fits in with what I think a good person would do. Maybe you just wanted to ask some prayers for safety and stuff like that. And I'm glad you came and I want to disparage any of those things. It's not that God isn't powerful. It's not that God isn't a miracle worker. It's God, not that God isn't a healer. It's not that God doesn't want to bring you prosperity or protection or any of those things. Those are all great. But God self-declares the very first thing that we should request of him because it's what he does best is his grace and mercy. So we're going to do that this morning. We're going to come for what God does best, okay? And here's how we're going to do this. Actually, uh, followers of Jesus have understood it this way for a long time. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, 8 and 9, 8 through 10, sorry. They say it like this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So historically, the followers of Jesus, the people of God, have called this an assurance of pardon. 
they read this and they're like, the word of God says, if we confess our sin, he will forgive us our sin. So let's make some, some time to confess our sin. Now, I'm not going to do, like, we could do an individual thing, and maybe the Lord is stirring in your heart, like, hey, there's some sin you need to confess on an individual level. But right now, for this purpose, we're going to do it corporately, okay? So I'm going to put a, a prayer up on the screen. We're going to read it together, and we're going to order the best thing on the menu. We're going to take some time reflecting on what God says he does best, the thing that is most weighty about his glory. You, want, you need me to drop that again? Does anybody need that for an illustration? We could do that. No? It's kind of fun. My wife's like, you're going to break the floor. So I had a test run this morning. It didn't break. Neither time. So we're going to pray this all together. We're going to read it together. And then we're going to spend some time singing and reflecting on the grace and mercy that our God has shown us. So Paul, come on up. Where's he at? He's coming. Oh, he's closer than I thought. All right, let's stand. I don't know why, but I feel like we should stand for this. All right, read with me. Father, forgive our sins. Forgive the sins that we remember and the sins we have forgotten. Forgive our many failures in the face of temptation and those times when we have been stubborn in the face of correction. Forgive the times we've been proud of our own achievements and those when we have failed to boast in your works. Forgive the harsh judgments we have made of others and the leniency we have shown to ourselves. Forgive the lies we have told to others and the truths we have avoided. Forgive us the pain we have caused others and the indulgence we have shown ourselves. Lord God, have mercy on us and make us whole. In Jesus Christ, our Savior's name.